Welcome to Globally Speaking, a production by RWS. Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Our experts talk to various industry thought leaders to dig into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. Now, here is the host for this episode. Okay, thanks for joining us to today's episode of Globally Speaking Radio. Today we have a special guest, Francesca Di Marco. She is one of the members of the Guilt Leaders Forum, who recently published the Globalization Strategy Playbook. And I'd like to pass over to Francesca for a second for to introduce herself, please. Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you for uh, for inviting me. I'm Francesca, and I lead internationalization program at Pinterest. I lead the global development program for product and marketing. Super passionate about enabling teams to achieve global scale by integrating processes and strategies, and also bridging gaps across functions and regional offices. And I've had the um, amazing experience of being able to work with uh, 11 globalization leads in the tech industry and to write um, a globalization strategy playbook that I would like to, to talk about today with you, Robert. Wonderful. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Um, your second episode with us, actually. So welcome back, I should say. Thank you. So yeah, that's the topic of today's podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Um, the Globalization Strategy Playbook. I know you and your co-authors are on a bit of a press tour. You've uh, shown up on some of our our colleague podcasts in, in the industry. And by the way, shout out to Global Ambitions and also to this later pod. Those podcasts had some interviews with some of your co-authors and explored some other topics than we will today. So I always think it's really great that our industry has a vibrant podcast ecosystem. I think it's, I love that about our industry. Yeah, so it, the nice thing about having so many co-authors on this playbook is that um, because you and different co-authors are joining different podcasts, we get to hear different perspectives and explore different things. And that, <laughs> that's also a great thing about having so many of you. And today I want to start off a little bit with, um, you know, I heard on one of the other podcasts that you were a large part of the editing team of this playbook. Um, for anyone who doesn't is not aware of the playbook itself, the strategic thinking group of the Guild Leaders Forum got together 12 people and put together a playbook for experience and also for aspiring localization professionals on how to think about being more strategic, the questions you should be asking and how to position localization and internationalization inside corporations. It's hosted on GitHub. We'll be posting a link to it. It's kind of all over the internet. You can probably just Google it as well. Like I said, there were 12 co-authors and I'd love to kind of pass the mic to you, Francesca, and hear from an editor's point of view and from your point of view in particular, what was that like? Because I can imagine it wasn't without its challenges working with so many people under tight deadlines. Yeah, it was uh, 12 of us located in different time zones and with very demanding jobs, but we were all thrilled to be part of this. So the idea came up, the idea to write a, a, a book or a playbook on globalization strategy came out of a discussion on data around localization during one of the guild meetings. Probably like more than 30 members, but 12 of us volunteered to write the globalization strategy playbook. Um, so there was an incredible amount of experience sitting with many of us in one room, and we managed to leverage the biggest advantage of working remotely. 
the more distant you are from something in time, in space, or socially, the more the more you are able to think in an abstract way, which was exactly the goal of what we were gonna write. And to build a constructive and productive environment, of course, we had to overcome some logistical challenges. The hardest part was definitely brainstorming, um, which is renownedly challenging in a remote environment. Um, you know, when you want to generate ideas collaboratively, collaboratively, Zoom or, uh, you know, like working with remote in general is very, very challenging. But what we needed was a plan for inception of the idea um, and then, um, you know, like a, a timeline to achieve the final product. Nobody has done this before. So we spent time defining what the playbook would look like and uh, who was our audience and uh, how to split responsibilities across ourselves. Um, once we had the chapter outline, we started deep diving into drafting the playbook. And then it was a matter of logistics, like working with geographically diverse, with a ge- geographically diverse team, which is nothing new to us in this industry. So there was a long preparation phase where each person generated potential solutions, working in small groups and thinking about possibilities, which was followed by um, an iterative process where all elements, all chapters were treated as tentative. And each of us volunteered to work on what we knew better. And so the rest of the group acted and the, and the rest of the group acted as a devil's advocate, as reviewers, as motivators. And uh, for me, after writing and co-writing different chapters, I volunteered to be the reviewer since I have some academic experience. I'm a published author and um, in my previous life, I was an academic. And so my goal was to guarantee that the playbook was cohesive from a stylistic point of view, but also from a content point of view. And so you shouldn't hear the voice of one author, but um, you should hear like a, a Choice. Um, you should hear like a group talking where um, you can dis- you cannot distinguish between between individual voices, but all together they form like a beautiful harmony. Um, so in the end, like the initial work was to keep everyone in the loop and keep them all engaged, and it all paid off because the book came together pretty quickly. It took us seven months from inception to publication, and. Not, not one of us uh, dropped out. We were super thrilled and motivated to participate. We had, of course, setbacks and some slowdowns, but everyone chimed in. Um, everyone participated to and um, and contributed to help. And I feel super lucky to have been part of it. And as I think that, I think that the beauty of this playgroup is the fact that it's built on a collective experience. And um, and it's built on, you know, very diverse challenges that we all faced. And um, in, interestingly enough, a playbook, by definition, is not a one-off invention for each team. All of us working together had the ability to view different situations across different companies in an ever-evolving business. And we had the ability to identify at a high level the foundations of our strategic thinking. And those foundations hopefully can be used by many more leaders across many types of organizations in the future. I, I thought that was one of the most intriguing things of how it was written. I read a good chunk of it. I'll admit, I, I haven't gone through the entire thing. I skimmed through the sections that, that I, I didn't read in, in detail. The sections I did read, they you're right. They sound like a group of people talking, but it's harm, it's harmonious. It's uh, One chapter doesn't deviate drastically in tone and voice from the next one. I thought that was sort of, it was a good case in point in 
many companies with their own content, you know, you, you have all sorts of problems in localization process when the source content has its issues, right? So if there's inconsistent use of terminology or inconsistent tone and voice, um, that sort of gets amplified and the chaos grows through the localization process. And I was intrigued, the challenge of having 12 authors and everyone's going to have their own writing fingerprint, basically. They're going to have their own style of writing and to to be one of the people to sort of pull that together, I thought was actually quite intriguing. Because I mean, in, in all honesty, not that many books get written by 12 people. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a more unique situation than having just a co-author or a single author. So I thought that was, um, it was a good sort of drinking your own champagne and making sure that, you know, it, imagine this book were to get localized one day, the localization process would benefit hugely from having a tone and voice and structure that's been harmonized across 12 authors. So I thought that was actually a pretty cool uh, living example of how to do it properly. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because it was one of our thoughts. Maybe one day this playbook is going to be localized. And so as localization leaders, we took into consideration a number of aspects. One, the style and tone, but also the length of the sentences. So we realized that, you know, like translating long sentences is never ideal when you translate from English into you know, like romantic languages and so on. And so this is this was part of the stylistic review that another member of, of the team did. And so we try to make all sentences short enough to be easily translatable in the future. So yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up because it was one of our thoughts. Like how can we make this uh, translation friendly? Right, which I guess, man, <laughs> that's for the future. I think it's a, it's, it's a good chance to take a deep breath and say, after seven months, 12 people got together and wrote this amazing book, that it's an, a huge achievement and not yet time to jump to the next large bit like that. Um, on the thread, though, I, I did want to, I wanted to explore the decision to publish this on GitHub. So if you're not, for all listeners out there, if, if you're not really familiar with what GitHub or platforms like that are, they're essentially collaboration platforms for developers, and they allow people to seamlessly collaborate on code. Um, each person contributing some code and then it getting merged into the master or like main repository of code in a very seamless way. I thought the decision to to publish the book on GitHub seemed like a signal to the industry. It's like there are 12 authors, but you can be a reader and become a contributor in some way. Now, I want to sort of explore that and see where the group's thinking is and a, probably selfishly taking the load off uploading it a little bit off yourselves and maybe asking the community to contribute and B, getting some of the great thoughts into the book that go beyond these 12 people. So so what, what was the thinking behind that and how is the group thinking about that these days? Yeah, I mean, when we got to the point that the playbook was ready and um, ready for publication, we started thinking about and considering different options for publication and distribution. And uh, we wanted to keep in our mind the readership, the investment on maintenance that was due at some point. And we also were considering plans for the future. And uh, we were pretty ambitious about that. Maybe we should publish another one. Maybe we should publish new chapters or a follow-up. But when it comes, for example, to readership, uh, we knew, uh, we know that this, the globalization strategy playbook is addressing globalization leaders in small companies or of uh, seasoned corporations. Whereas the objectives might be different across the readership because they are tied to specific businesses, the strategy and the strategic thinking exercise, which is encouraged in the playbook, should resonate with each reader. And so we wanted to make sure that these readers are part of this conversation because 
this playbook is more of a, I, I, I want to I wanna use the metaphor of a recipe that needs to be improved constantly. It's not the recipe that is ready to be executed on that spot. And so it is supposed to be a, com- a conversation. And also, as I said before, so we wanted to consider the readership, we wanted to consider maintenance. And this is, maintenance is very problematic because information tied to tech in the tech industry becomes very obsolete and very quickly. Uh, because products functionality has changed over time or with the invention of new products or new technologies. For example, there is a chapter on new uh, translation technologies, speech-to-text, text-to-speech, remote interpretation, but also like multilingual chat, that analysis, um, machine translation optimization. And all this information is going to be obsolete in three months. So because we need to monitor the industry trends, because we need to continue to talk to the experts and probably instead of globalization leader, you need a globalization technology architect who takes care of the new technologies. So we know that uh, the playbook is going to need a lot of maintenance. And also like planning for the future, the idea that probably we want to add some chapters or maybe we want to add like a follow-up. So we landed on the idea of using GitHub as our hosting platform for version control and for collaboration. Um, GitHub is going to let us um, work together, like the 12 of us for sure, but also more globalization leaders can chime in. Students can ask their questions or can let us know what they're particularly interested in getting to know for their future career in the localization industry. And so, and we are thrilled to receive feedback and to incorporate it. Most probably what's going to happen in the future is that we're going to create a window or two throughout the year when we can fully embrace all updates, requests for additional information or additional chapters. So I think that GitHub is really providing us the right format where we can keep collaborating, the 12 of us, but also we can keep this conversation happening with more globalization leaders, both on the client side and on the, um, uh, on the vendor side, as well as with students. Yeah, it's, yeah the, the point about the technology, it really, when I was reading that, I was identifying some chapters, you know, the, the more the higher level strategic chapters about how to position things and inside the company, how to interact with different stakeholder groups. That stuff probably won't change that often, right? There will always be a finance department. There will always be a procurement department and so on. And, and that's actually, those are the sections where I found many voices, right? So this is why I was so impressed. Somehow you got to the point where you're writing with one voice, but you could tell in the, su- in the substance of the content that many people chimed in and said, okay, well, so-and-so had this experience from their career but someone else had a different experience. And so in the content, you can see that you're covering a bunch of different scenarios that the reader could face wherever they are and therefore takes that recipe and then improves it and customizes it for that particular strategic goal, right? So there's no, it's it's not so much an answer as it is a set of questions for you to be thinking about so that you can take the next step and go and answer them. So I think in those chapters, it seems like there's probably less need for very burdensome updating, but I think you're right on the technology chapters. You're right. In, in a few months, what's there is probably obsolete and that needs to be updated. And just the ability to invite others to update that stuff seamlessly and and even write it for you, right? So it's, it's not, what I think one point on these sort of open source thinking is people can raise questions and suggest things, but they can also write entire passages and ask you, hey, are you okay with the way I wrote it? Would you like to merge it into your book? And I was so intrigued by the idea, 
how open source technology gets developed, but applied to a book, a, a sort of documentation for the industry. And I thought that was, it, it was, it's very inviting for someone who could look at that and say, and so in fact, there's, there's already a merge request on GitHub. Someone um, sort of improved in his views, one of the sections, and now it's waiting for you and your team to say, take a look at that and say, Hey, that, that actually brings a lot of value. Let's merge it into our book. And this person became a contributor the same way open source technology works. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, for a split second, we considered uh, publishing into a book um, and distributing it in, you know, in the most conventional way. But um, it wouldn't be fair for, for our readership because, as I said, like, that information is going to be obsolete soon. And, um, and also, true that there are some chapters that might need more updates and more work than others and more maintenance than others, but it's also true that they're all so interweaned. Um, if you talk about like new technology, true that this is going to change um, pretty much on a monthly basis. But it's also true that if you think about business objectives in general, what capabilities you need to support those business those business objectives, and you need a technology roadmap for that. And when you need a technology roadmap, you might want to need to tap into you know, some knowledge about new technologies. And when you know about the new technologies, you might want to tap into the chapter of stakeholders because maybe some of, some of those new technologies might belong, like the maintenance or the engineering support might belong to different teams within the company, not necessarily, um, they're not going to sit necessarily within your team. So I think that all those chapters are very interweaved and, and changing one aspect in each of them is going to change also the relationship in others. It's true also that the chapter on stakeholders is probably the most layered one because each of us is working in a different company with a different size and with different challenges. And um, just a simple distinction between who of us actually manage manages budget on behalf of other teams and who doesn't will make the whole difference in the way, you know, you um, you reach out to stakeholders, in the way you bridge gap is, uh, gaps with other teams, um, in the way you interact with them and you want to keep them engaged with um, with your operations. So, yeah. I think in that sense, it would actually be really tough to write a strategic playbook with fewer authors, because I, I think the power in what you've produced comes from the sum of experience of many people. I, I'm thinking of myself, you know, the, the things... If I were to um, try to write a book on marketing strategy, I'm a marketer. I would, I think, have the feeling oftentimes that um, I have my experience, but that's just my experience in the particular organizations I've been in, in the situations and the times of those companies I've been with them. But were I to pull in other colleagues and start putting all the ideas on the table and looking for general trends or writing things in a way that encompasses as many experiences is as inclusive as possible of different ways of seeing things. I think I would write something much, much better. Or we would write something much better. And I think that's the, for me, that was the power of having these multiple authors and having many different perspectives somehow put into one place. And yeah, it was, um, like I said, I, I keep going back to the kudos to what you and your team have built and especially in the time, but the, um, the sort of multiple voices singing in harmony. I, th I thought it was a impressive in its writing style, but also just very powerful in creating a general framework in which people can think and having as many sort of, Hey, did you think of this portions, especially the, the stakeholder section is a good example, right? Because different companies are structured in different ways and you could read through that section, a lot of different experiences from a lot of different authors. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal of the playbook was 
to really to provide an overview on how you set as a globalization leader, how you, as you set a vision for your team, a strategic direction, and then um, how to guide conversations with your stakeholders, with the C-suite, with the C-suite, and uh, and then also the goal was to provide some tips and best practices. So what are the procedures and processes that better represent the most effective course of action in localization? But if you look at each of these items, basically you understand that that, that's the light motive of the book, of the playbook. So we want to, we want to shed some light on how you build, uh, what does the future you're trying to create look like in your um, business unit and across the company. But it's also true that the more abstract you want to be, the more ex- the, the experience that you're bringing to the table needs to um, needs to be diverse, so that you can find really what's the com- what's the common thread there, what's the the the, the, the most theoretical learning um, that you can share with uh, with your readership. And I think that's the reason why having twelve people, twelve veterans in the industry, was extremely important and made this um this playbook really a, a beautiful outcome yeah that is if we were to send one message to the listeners today because I, I think you'll have a broad audience for this playbook we have a broad audience for this podcast as do the others how can they get involved is i mean is, is it actually you know if they've got burning questions that they would love to see in the next edition of the playbook is this going on github and and commenting on something or sending an email or how's the best way to sort of activate the community and get get engagement and, uh, you know, maybe not authorship, but contributorship from the larger community. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, Of course, like checking the playbook will be step number one. And um, I would like to remind everyone that it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be read from the beginning to the end. Each chapter can be utilized, that can can be enjoyed on its own. Um, So even just the reading, you know, like a section or a chapter, which might be relevant for you know, a challenge that a globalization leader is facing at the moment might be um, might be useful. And uh, yes, commenting on GitHub or sending us an email, they will both work. And uh, we're actually piling up a number of requests and feedback. And as I said before, we're probably going to work on, on maintenance and on improving um, our playbook in the next few months. We're probably going to create a window or two when we're going to look at all the feedback that we received and we're going to take action on it. We, we truly welcome feedback in general. Hopefully if COVID ever allows it, come and shake your hand at a, at a conference one of these days <laughs> or have a, have a coffee or drink somewhere and strike up a conversation. I, I missed that <laughs> a lot. Yeah, we, we presented the, the Globalization Strategy Playbook as keynote speakers at, the, at Lockwood as well. But of course, it's such a it's such a big project that there are so many aspects of it that could be explored. And uh, there are some chapters that are absolutely uh, fascinating. I've been learning so much. As I said, like I co-authored a number of chapters, but my favorite is the uh, the chapter on technology, which I did not write, and I was not part of the committee. Um, but I did learn so much, like how you build a technology roadmap, and the, the playbook describes a technology maturity model. Uh, think about where in the technology maturity model you stand today, and are you in the initial stage where a lot of work is done using spreadsheets and email, and how do you move forward from there, for example? So from being a small startup to being a corporate to be a, a more mature business with a sustainable uh, processes. And so the more 
you see complexity growing in your organization, um, how, for example, how do you consider acquisitions of technology providers, for example? Those are all things that I've been learning by reading, editing these chapters, but it's been a learning experience for me. So there has been a dialogue already during these seven months among the, the 12 of us. Uh, we've been providing our knowledge, we've been sharing our knowledge, and we've been learning so much from each other. And I hope that the readers can learn a lot and can give back some as well. How did you approach situations where people didn't agree on how to approach a certain chapter or maybe a, a very fundamental view on something? But like I said, there were many views in many of the chapters, and that's how you feel. It's a, har it's a symphony of voices singing. But I can imagine in some cases there was, you know, there was an open and frank discussion. Hey, we see this fundamentally differently. And with, with so many people involved, I can imagine that may have come up. And if it did, how did that get managed? Interestingly enough, there haven't been frictions at all. I think that rather than having different takes or different opinions, we were bringing to the table a different experience, which was actually playing in our favor because we were adding an extra layer of complexity to what we wanted to write. Just going back to why we came up with the idea of writing this playbook, which might explain, which might answer your question. We were at a, at a guild meeting and we were discussing, we were having a discussion on data around localization. And uh, most localization teams track uh, operational data like translation cost, cost per word, per language, machine translation savings, DMS savings, and so on. But one of the members of guild said that actually in her role, her role is more strategic and she looks at different metrics. And so she needs to measure the impact of localization internationalization on customers and their international audiences. And this sparked the conversation around how as a globalization leader or localization leader, you feel like you need to evaluate if our products, if our company's products are usable in a language other than English and how our customers use them in various markets and industries. So we look at how our company revenue is affected by the availability of translations and localization capabilities in our software. But it turns out that there is not much information available on the strategic aspect of globalization. And this is when, so for example, how you can effectively build a strategic program or how you can measure success. And so, we all reckoned that we needed a playbook, that we needed a compass to navigate how to strategically build a team and set up the technology and processes for the long run. And so and we all acknowledged that this playbook was not available yet. And this was the reason why 12 of us volunteered um, in forming this strategic thinking task force. And um, which eventually ended up with the with the drafting and the publication of of the strategy playbook. So we wanted to share our experiences of solving strategic problems in our companies and offer a thinking framework around decision making. So none of us came to the table with a, with a, with a solution. None of us came with the recipe for success. But we all came to the table with a lot of questions, and so the result was a seven month long collaboration which ended up with this playbook. And if you read it, you might notice that there are a lot of case studies with a lot of questions. But basically the most important part of the, of the playbook, the most important part of, part of this project 
is that it, it really gives you an idea on how to go about things, how to reason about things. So what, what are the questions I should ask myself when I'm considering whether adding a new language to my uh, set of locales that I currently support, for example. So what questions I'm asking myself, what kind of support I need from my stakeholders. And with that sentiment, we were all meeting and bringing our questions. Our big, and, and, and we showed a lot of um, vulnerability with each other. So these are the big challenges that I'm facing at the moment. How should I go about that? And that was probably, I think, the most effective way of uh, collaborating, bringing really very open and being very clear about sharing the current challenges in our in our companies and in our industry. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's um, I, I would describe it as unopinionated in a, in a sense. I think I think if you if the book was had a strong opinion about how to do something, I think actually a lot more conflict may have occurred because then the group has to come up with its opinion. But actually, the way the way you approached it, you and your co-authors, it's it's very inclusive of a lot of different views. And in, in so far as it's not prescriptive and strategic enough to be generalized, and you can take the next step to specialize it to your particular situation, it, I don't think in any part of the book that does it go into, it resists getting too tactical and resists getting too opinionated. So I think because of that really good um, limit you set yourself, you sort of created a an environment where conflict can't, I mean, conflict is the harsh word, but like disagreements sort of melt away because being strategic enough means being abstract enough from the particulars and the details that many different perspectives can exist without being necessarily strong opinions about how to do something, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea that we came all together was in my position, I'm developing strategies for people, processes, technologies, I'm studying a vision, I'm working on strategic direction i would love having some guidelines on how to do this and uh, and we all came with with a set of challenges that we were that we were facing and in general like i think that the at the core um there is the the long standing issue that the localization department in general is often viewed as an internal service provider that tasks are in sourced and outsourced to but these departments have much more so much expertise and so much more to offer. And in this globalization strategy playbook, we shared our strategic approach to solving challenges in global markets, but also on how we continuously elevate globalization strategy in our companies. You know, well-aligned front where the premise was the same for everyone. We're facing new challenges. There is no playbook. There is no guidance or guidelines on how to go about it. Why don't we put our uh, knowledge together and trying to figure out what's what's a list of questions, what's uh, what what are good practices, how do we connect real life situations to strategic thinking processes in order to stay focused on the overall company strategy, not just on our business unit. And uh, because we know that if the localization department is not positioned strategically within a company, our inter- the international users will suffer or the international experience will suffer. And so we were coming to a meeting, we were coming together with the same sentiment, with the same set of challenges, uh, but without an answer. And that was probably the reason why these frictions did not exist, because it was not in the nature of, of uh, our work. So, I mean, it sounds like a... The target readership would encompass veterans of the industry, people not in the industry, trying to learn a little bit about what the internationalization, localization profession looks like, how it affects their marketing, how it affects their product. 
but probably also students and, and new entrants trying to figure out not just the, the particulars of how localization works, but how does it, how do they position themselves in the departments to be more strategic inside companies? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's correct. Students as well might, might find this, uh, the playbook really useful because they could uh, they can get a glimpse on how life will look like, their professional life will look like one day. But also I think that um, apart from uh, students or globalization leaders, also suppliers can gain uh, an understanding of the buyer's thought processes and challenges. And as a result, they might have um, they might be able to have the right conversations with buyers, um, ask relevant questions, and also probably offer relevant solutions. Um, this could lead to a new business models and, and new services. With new technologies, for example, uh, or in a number of chapters, actually, we, we mentioned how the LPM, the localization program manager, is, of course, the core of the team. But there are so many other positions that are coming up, a market specialist, a product specialist, an SEO specialist. And all these figures are, you know, job descriptions that we have ready, but it's very hard to staff against. And and this is the reason why I think the suppliers as well can gain a, like quite of a deep understanding on what happens on the client side um, and how we go about major strategic decisions and what kind of uh, resources we need, what kind of solutions we need. I'm talking about like staff, but also technical solutions. Right. I mean, Globally Speaking Radio is, is hosted by RWS. I work at RWS. So as a LSP side person, it was intriguing to sort of pull back the curtain through the book and, and read in detail. I mean, you know, I've had my experiences over the years with buy side, obviously. But um, yeah, it was refreshing to sit back and read something that enables me and my colleagues to empathize more with with our buyers. So in that sense, I can only say thank you to you and your colleagues for helping not educate only um, others, other colleagues on the buy side, but also on the sell side. So um, yeah, I think it's a great service to the industry. And, and I think you guys have done a great job putting it together. Um, I would encourage all our listeners today, check out the playbook um, in the link in the description of the episode. Like Francesca said, uh, leave comments. I think they're called issues on GitHub. Um, you can directly tell the team there what you'd like to see in the future, what thing, questions you have that they can maybe take a look at in, in future editorial rounds. And if you're feeling really, really um, bold, you can you can propose a change, which which I did actually, Francesca, a few days ago. I proposed um, there was a slight formatting thing in there, so I forked the book. I made a small adjustment and I I proposed the change into the next edition. So I think it's called a poll request on GitHub. So I hope to become a small contributor to the playbook in the future if you accept my change. And I just want to say thanks for coming on the show today. It's been really great talking to you. Um, some of the other podcasts, the other podcast industry, they explored other aspects. So I'd encourage all our listeners to go listen to those as well. And it was really fun, Francesca, to talk about the book's inception, about you know how you're looking at pulling in the community and maintenance and what the editing experience was with, with the 12 of you and the sort of nature of the content really creating a, an ecosystem where opinions weren't necessary because you were strategic and general enough to really bring on all voices. And I think that was really great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Wonderful. Thanks. Talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, an RWS production. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. Check out other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com where you can also find transcripts from every show. 
We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So don't hesitate to reach out to us by contacting us at info at globallyspeakingradio.com. Global